Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella, and I am super excited to bring on Mark Ainley. Mark has fixed and flipped over 400 houses, manages over 750 rental units, and you were recently featured on TV, right? Yes, yes. I, I got off my bucket list, uh, the uh, activity of being on TV. What did you do? What were you featured for? Uh, they did on uh, CNBC, the show The D, they did a... Uh, I love renovation, it. a renovation show that uh, along the lines of uh, uh, the TV show, The Profit, uh, Marcus Lavona, so a lot of people know about that. It's kind of like the real estate version. Okay. And uh, we ran into, we had a, we had a troubled property that uh, was a, a good story that made for good uh, reality TV. What was the story? Briefly, uh, high level. Briefly, uh, high level. We bought and we buy properties at the judicial sale. And yep. uh, a lot of that's uh, site unseen or you can't get access to it. And we bought the wrong property. We, we did a due diligence on uh, an address that the last number was flipped and ended up buying a, a two flat around the, uh, across the street that was uh, a complete mess and far, far further of a scope than we expected. And uh, it just, it, it was a good story because they, they, they called it the mistake by the lake. Of, uh, we just, you know, due to uh, lack of due diligence or, or us all trying to rush around and do too much in a growing uh, company, we bought the wrong property. And uh, the show featured us really uh, taking the property from start to finish and uh, getting it done. And we actually sold it, made a profit on the show. And it was a good experience. Yeah, I've never done that before. But over the course of the last 10 years, we have definitely done similar things in that we've been so busy that we overlook a lot of, a lot of stuff sometimes. So over the course of the last 10 years, we've been kind of putting in, you know, processes in place to make sure that that type of stuff doesn't happen. One of the things that we used to do a lot of, and we don't buy a lot at auctions, but one of the things that we used to do a lot of is we would send one person in there. Um, we would send one person into the property and never have my partner go in who manages the construction. So it'd be somebody that had no idea about the construction, basically making a decision on a home. And then he gets in there the day after we close and he's like, oh man, this is not you know, what, what I expected. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good things about growing, but definitely there are some growing pains as well. So tell us a little bit, you've been an investor since 2008, right? Uh, I, well, I bought my first property in 2003. So before I got into real estate, I bought a property just, you know, when the market was hot here in Chicago, um, uh, no money down type uh, environment back in the day, I bought my first property that we really started getting into these flicks, uh, flip, fix and flips in 2008. 2008. So between 2003, 2008, did you have any real estate investing activity whatsoever? Well, that first flip was a horrible experience. So we, uh, we kind of, it was a horrible management experience. We actually made money on it, but it was a bad, uh, uh, management experience. So we said we are done with, uh, property management. And, uh, we went on a dry spell and really went back into the brokerage side of the business. And, uh, with a pretty hot market here in uh, Chicago, we did a lot of the brokerage. And then because we worked with so many investors, it kind of forced our hand to get back into management. And here we are today, obviously, managing as our primary focus. So when you got back in in 2008, was the market completely crashed at that point or was it still kind of on the downside in, in Chicago? It was starting to crash. So we got into real estate you know, right after uh, Lehman collapsed and, uh, and 
all the the real subprime uh, deals really started to uh, to hit with the uh, interest rate uh, that first kind of boosted interest rates on the uh, the flex mortgages. But uh, yeah, it still went down a couple of years after, but it was pretty darn low in the areas we started to invest in. Um, mm. We started investing at a time right around uh, when the Olympics were potentially going to be announced in, in Chicago, uh, when we were in the final four for running. And that's really was another motivator for us to start buying some of these properties at these low prices. So you were buying them to buy and hold or to flip in 2008, 2009, 2010? Um, well, the funny thing is uh, in 2008, that's where I really started to experience cash flow. Uh, when I got my uh, into the real estate in 2003, um, it wasn't really cash flow back then. It was you buy a property, you hold it for six months, and you potentially make money on uh, depreciation pretty quick. Yep. And uh, I actually would pitch some of those type of uh, proposals or opportunities to like experienced investors back in my early on. And, and they thought it was crazy. And I thought they were crazy. Like, hey, all you got to do is hold it, be upside down on rent for a couple hundred bucks, and, and you can could, you could make 30 grand in six months. And uh, looking back, I, I never really knew what cash flow was until 2008. And we started looking at these properties. And you start looking at the 15, 20% uh, cash on cash returns and, and that really uh, you know, break out the spreadsheet and that really got me excited and into the opportunities that were about to present themselves with the market crashing. What was the typical deal for you like then? Like what was the purchase price? What were the renovations and what were the rents that you were getting? Uh, so a lot of stuff we started doing in 2008 was in uh, called C and D class type uh, neighborhoods where we would buy stuff for about 25 grand, put about 25, 30 grand into it. And uh, we would rent it out for about, uh, about anywhere between a thousand, 1200. Okay. So we were getting pretty good cash on cash. It ended up being coming out to be about, uh, about 20% across the board. Yeah. That's really good cash on cash. And you talked about C and D class neighborhoods. What's your opinion on that now looking back? I mean, was that something that you continue to do or now are you kind of out of those type of markets? So we do still have properties in those type of markets and we still do manage uh, probably about uh, a third of our portfolio in those type of markets for other investors. It's tough. Um, you have to, uh, those are definitely not the neighborhoods I would tell a beginner investor to jump in with uh, both feet uh, um, and, and throw their, their savings into it because there's a lot of challenges and we learn a lot of challenges. Now we are lucky that we're buying for so cheap and we had, you know, call it 50, 60 grand into them that you can make a five, 10, $15,000 mistake and still, cash flow at uh, 12, 13%. So um, they're, they're, they're a challenge and they present challenges like uh, nothing else, whether it be security or, or dealing with uh, housing programs and, uh, and various crime activity in the area. So it's definitely challenges, but there's money to be made. I, I read in a book back in the day, you go where other people don't want to go or go, you can make money where other people don't want to go. And that was kind of uh, what I was thinking back in the day. Well, I think newer investors, you know, they're looking at things on paper. They're looking at the C and D class neighborhoods versus the others. And obviously the cash flow is always going to be better there. Um, so what type of issues did you typically have in those type of neighborhoods? Uh, security is one thing. Um, if you have a vacant unit, uh, you're, you're exposed. It, all it takes is a, a kick in the door if you're, you've got your door secured right. And they could go rip out uh, a couple hundred dollars of copper that they might go recycle and it costs you $10,000 to put it all back in. Um, so you talk about 20% cash on cash on paper, right? So you look at the numbers, you're going to get 20% cash on cash, but then you talked about the net and that ended up being, you said, what, 12 or 13%? Uh, so the net, when we were going through, um, 
you know, if we made a mistake um, on something, we had to go over it. We were end up, we'd end up in the, the low teens. But uh, typically, uh, our uh, cash on cash was, was right around that eighteen to twenty percent. Okay, and so in terms of you you building up your portfolio, were you buying, renovating, renting, and then refinancing out, or how were you kind of managing cash flow on that type of stuff? In that 2008 to 2012 span, we were going after that Burr model. It wasn't named Burr model, I guess, back then, but that uh, buy, rehab, renovate, whatever it is, and refinance. And we were doing that. Um, and we were able to get probably about uh, 90 to 95% of our money out each time. So we had to leave some money in, which uh, ended up turning into some cash flow issues for us later on as uh, as a tip there for people trying to, to do that. Uh, Can you elaborate on that a little bit? So if you, what was happening was we might have, I'll just use easy route numbers. If we we're putting a hundred thousand into a property between buying it and rehabbing it, and we could only refinance out and get about, let's call it 95,000 out. That means we had to leave $5,000 into the deal. And that $5,000 had to go some, come from somewhere. If you're doing 20, 30, 40 units uh, in a year, that 5,000 times 20, 30 added up where we had to then find uh we had, to, we had to fill that hole, um, which kind of forced us to start looking at uh, selling some stuff when when that started becoming realistic towards that 2012-13 area. And that's because the appraised value wasn't coming in high enough? Yes, the appraised value. Some banks were only allowing us to get a percentage of uh, what we have into the deal. Um, and so between appraisals and just banks not being as flexible uh, coming out of that recession. But for the most part, you were able to pull the majority of your money back out. Yes, definitely. Even during, I mean, you'd probably, at least in your career, my career, that was the time period where it was the hardest to get money back out of any deals, right? You know, we, we bought all these, uh, these properties and we thought that we'd be able to go walk to any bank with free and clear properties. We, we kind of uh, put all of our, pooled all of our personal money together to, to buy these units and fix them and thought... Free and clear properties, any bank will uh, will lend against it. And we quickly hit a wall where I think the first uh, cash out we did was through some broker of a broker of a broker that put us with some hard money lender out of California who's uh, ended up paying 12, 13% jam just for another point of closing. So that first experience for us was uh, was pretty rough. And uh, we learned hard on, on the, the financing, how it wasn't going to be easy. And that led us to just kind of build relationships with local banks uh, faster. So how would you do it differently if you were starting over? So starting over, I would, I love the Burr model. Um, it's getting tougher and tougher to make, uh, to make it realistic uh, these days because it's hard to find the deals, I guess, that with that much of a gap between purchase price and call it ARV. But um, if I could start over and do it again or how I would plan differently, I would have the exit strategy. How, how we went into it thinking that cash out would be no problem and, and we should have had a, a better plan for that. What would that plan have been? Whether it been uh, finding uh, maybe short-term money um, for a, a better interest rate versus you know the hard money we might have ended up at, um, or ultimately what we did after um, we went to our first refinance experience, we took a package of, I think eight or nine properties and, and refinanced them. Like I said, with a hard money type person, mm-hmm. we went right for the local banks, the local community banks that uh, were still lending that that didn't have the exposure in the recession that weren't part of the TARP programs. And we went after them, built relationships, said, hey, you know, we have uh, some deposits here, you know, between rents and a couple of property management accounts. We'll, we'll put those there. We just need you to lend us some money. 
and we built a couple of those relationships pretty quick and we we're able to uh, start refinancing out at that 90, 90 to 95% type uh, cash out for us that helped our model. Yeah, it's interesting because people always ask me all the time, well, how do you fund your deals? And there's there's not one funding source that I use. I mean, between private capital and hard money and commercial lines of credit and lines of credit against rental properties that we own and commercial lines of credit against my business. There's so many different ways to do it. And, you know, people complain about hard money, but if you didn't have hard money at that point, that would have been a big detriment to you, right? I mean, that was your best option as of that day, right? Yes, correct. Um, Yeah, no, we were able to, because the spread was so big and the returns we're getting, hard money was still able to work and even be profitable, but it didn't come close to what we were looking at. But yeah, it made it. It, may, it was a necessary evil. And it is for a lot of uh, real estate guys. And some guys uh, say, I, I don't want to go near that. But hey, if you do it right and plan it right and, and have a way to get that hard money paid off, it, it's, it could just be part of a strategy. Now, with you using hard money, were you still cash flowing? I'm assuming that the margins were so good back then because of the prices, you were probably still cash flowing, right? Yes, we were. Uh, it was minimal, but we weren't putting money into it, which was the, the we weren't making as much as we could have. But yes, correct. We were cash flowing. Okay. And so were you also fixing and flipping properties at that point? Um, we were, so we ended up getting into the flipping side of things more so because we wanted to be able to cover the call it five to 10% that we weren't able to pull out. So we'd say, all right, let's go fix and let's go uh, refinance 10 properties. And to pay off that, that, that spread that we can't cash out, we'll go sell two properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that very uh, non-strategic uh, just to fill that void at first. But then in 2012, we started to get into, you know, what a lot of people hear now is the, the, the turnkey model where we're selling investment properties fixed up uh, and then retaining the management. So, yeah, I got into the business for the, the same exact reason. I wanted to buy and hold properties. And then, you know, in order to, to execute on the Burr model, you've got to get properties at a discount. So while we're marketing for these properties at a discount, we're coming across deals that we can wholesale and fix and flip. And, you know, now probably, you know, the majority, you know, a good, the best, the biggest percentage of our income from all of our different businesses right now is the fix and flip. I never thought I would be a fix and flip investor. Never thought I would wholesale deals or anything like that. I always wanted to get into it just for the passive income, but it's kind of by default, you've got a market for the good deals in order to get them discounting enough to execute the birth strategy. So we've done a ton of fix and flips, uh, probably around the same number that you've done over the course of your career. So how did that then evolve from you kind of, you know, fixing it? I mean, you buying and holding some properties and doing some fix and flips non-strategically, where did your business go from there? Um, so we got into the flips really because, uh, the market presents itself, just like you said, and the ability, it became, so when we first started doing this and I was, we're struggling to get appraisals to, to appraise out, uh, some would be way off, you know, the appraisals went very conservative in that call it 2008 to 2011 period. But, uh, uh, the ability to, uh, the, when the appraisal started to loosen up a little and, and reflect true market value, um, it, it created the spread of what I could buy a property for, and when I can sell it, when I can get a property appraised out for it. And that, that's starting to close up now. But that, that was really, uh, it was like such a huge window. Like, like you said, I wasn't expecting us to get to the flix, fix and flip model. But it just kind of presented itself. And we were able to uh, uh, really take advantage of that, that uh, what we could buy them for versus the ARB and get to appraise out for it. Now, you said we a few times. Do you have other partners in the business? And what are their roles within the business for you? Yes, I have uh, currently I have two partners. Um, we all are partners in the property management, 
the brokerage and the development. So we all we all have kind of unique roles in, in all three companies. Um, on the development side, um, you know, I handle a lot more acquisitions um, and the back end marketing. Um, mm-hmm. I also am the managing broker for our company, so I kind of uh, have the best experience as far as the brokerage part. And then uh, one of our other partners, Brian, he's uh, heads up uh, the construction part of it. And uh, uh, Cliff, our third partner, is he's really, uh, you know, he's our driving force. You need the guy that keeps the, 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 the workers in line. And uh, me and Brian are good at uh, working hard and making it happen. And Cliff keeps us, you know, focused at the, at the right, right spot. I have a very, very similar setup to you. We've got the brokerage business. We've got the fix and flip business. We've got the small property management division. I also have two other partners, one of them who manages the construction and then one who manages really the operations of the business. Um, So it's interesting that, you know, we have almost a similar setup. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. So um, tell us a little bit about where you're at today and what you're kind of looking to do over the next few years. So we are on the development side of things. So we have the three businesses on the development side of things. We are struggling to find deals. So acquisitions has become a more crucial role um, in our day to day. Um, I've been sourcing other people inside between virtual assistants and, and uh, you know inside the company to help me. Whether it be just source find deals and uh, through other wholesalers or or just be online more looking for deals, uh, you know, and every minute looking for the, the various auction deals. So acquisitions become, is really at our point that's going to uh, help us continue development or kind of slow it down. Um, what are you, what are you doing now to find your deals? Um, so when I started about two years ago, when I saw this coming was really just networking with all of the wholesalers. And there's a lot of wholesalers here in, in the Chicago market, or, or it, it seems like there is. And I think wholesaling a lot of times becomes a, an easy way to get into real estate. So just kind of building the relationships with those people at the, the local little networking groups and chapters and all that stuff. I want those guys to come to me first when they find a deal. Um, and I've been able to do that by just helping our reputation. Hey, if we're going to commit to a deal, we're going to close, we're going to close fast. Um, and, or if you bring me a deal, I'll be able to tell you in 24 hours if we can, uh, if we can do it or not. So building those relationships and then uh, just watching the different uh, auction houses and stuff like that. The MLS has dried up a lot here in, uh, in uh, the Chicagoland area. So we don't find too much there anymore. The MLS is dead pretty much nationwide. I mean, they're, the only markets that you can get good deals in the, on the MLS anymore are really rural type type areas, definitely no big cities or anything like that. So given that you're having some difficulty with that, um, why haven't you kind of taken control of your own marketing? You know what? We did that for a while, um, whether it be the letters or the, the signs, um, our market is flooded with that right now. You know, there's, there's multiple signs on every phone call um, in, in our area or every corner the, you know, there's multiple signs. So I thought it, our resources would be better used building the relationships with the guys that are out there putting those signs up. So, cause most of those guys aren't keeping those deals. They're, they're, they're turning them over to guys like us that uh, are going to turn around and, and execute the deal. Actually. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so now you talked a little bit about the fact that you've got some sort of turnkey operation. What does that look like? Um, you know, in 2012, um, we kind of got into the turnkey model on accident. Uh, we, were, we were selling a couple of properties uh, just to kind of fill the gap of the Burr model we had going. But 
you know, through, you know, I got introduced to uh, sites like Bigger Pockets and all that in 2000, uh, at the end of 2012 there, and started talking to all these people, um, out-of-state investors, and it, it introduced me to the, a lot of these people from, is at the West Coast and the East Coast at the time, were looking to the Midwest to buy uh, investment properties. And I always put myself out there on, on places like Bigger Pockets as like a resource. Like, hey, if you want to know about Chicago, you know, I'm on a block by me, or if you want a, a neighborhood, I'll give you my opinion. Um, and I started talking and networking with these out-of-state investors, and they were buying crap. They were buying garbage in, in, uh, in, in bad areas that had half-assed rehabs with properties that had violations uh, that blocks are, that I'm scared to go down. And uh, I, I said, I looked at where these guys were buying it from, and there, there's a few bigger uh, turnkey companies in Chicago, like selling four, five, 600 units a year. And we kind of strategized with the partners saying, hey, if we could just pick up these guys' crumbs and sell 40 or 50 of them a year, um, you know, we have a better product, we're in better neighborhoods. One thing we did from 2008 to 2000 until now is we found what neighborhoods we don't want to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we found the type of property we don't want to buy. Um, you know, we used to go into any neighborhood and buy any house and, and the bigger, the better, uh, you know, um, and we realized that, you know, if we keep our, our footprint to, uh, that, that call it 900 to 1200 square feet, we can control our costs. We can, uh, you know, it's, uh, put a renter, uh, the, the, the kind of medium sized renter in there and, uh, we could control a lot more and, and we were off, we were doing a lot more single family home. And uh, we, we just realized that we, we could do this better than these other companies. And if we just pick up their crumbs, it should be no problem. We could even do it with limited marketing, even uh, of, uh, of our of our of our service, even. And that kind of took off, um, you know. So we put ourselves out there, we threw our website up, started doing some networking uh, about the whole uh, turnkey uh, process. And, and before you know it, we we were you know the first guy came in, he bought like twenty seven units um, from us, and uh, that kind of uh, got us going. And said, "Wow, there, there's some." pretty good money here that we can do. Our original plan was uh, to, to sell three out of every 10 units we did. And it turned quickly to that first year, we sold like seven out of every 10. And now we're probably doing about eight out of every 10. Uh, I think we did last year. So yeah, it's, it's interesting because when you just look at kind of geographically, how the, the different markets are set up, because right now you mentioned people on the West coast and then people on the East coast, the West coast and East coast right now in general, in the major cities, is so overpriced that it's hard to cash flow. So even even us when we're getting discounted properties in the greater Boston market, it's difficult for us to cash flow. Um, and I know it's even worse in areas like LA and areas like San Diego and areas like that. So you've got all these people like myself who are doing really well on the fix and flip side, but they're having a difficult time, you know, buying properties to cash flow because of just how our markets are and how they kind of spike and peak and all that good stuff. So. Um, what percentage of your your clientele on that side of the business are in kind of overheated markets? Um, almost all of them. Yeah. Um, so almost every turnkey buyer that we have is is coming from either West Coast, East Coast. We got a couple in uh, England and a couple in Australia, and, and they're all they can't find anything there unless they're investing for appreciation. And uh, you know our, our our demographics seem to be lean towards younger buyers to younger investors that uh, many of them are buying properties with us in Chicago and they rent their home um, just because they can't find the right, or they don't believe in rent buying their own house. So it's kind of uh, unique to see that. So we talked about what the numbers look like in 2008 and 2009 in Chicago. What do they look like today? Somebody from Boston or somebody from LA is interested in investing in a turnkey property with you. What do the numbers typically look like? 
So our so on a single family home, or you can kind of look at a per unit. We have a handful of two and three flats that we sell to, but usually on a on a unit basis, we are looking between ninety and one hundred ten thousand a unit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fixed up. Uh, you call it eighty percent of a gut rehab. Uh, yeah, mechanicals fixed up. Usually, uh, roof is taken care of. Um, you know, yards cleaned up. Uh, so we we tend to put about uh, I'd say about forty uh, to fifty thousand dollars per unit into the units. That's one thing we learned from two thousand eight is uh do it right the first time where you get nickel and dimed on the uh on the uh on the maintenance uh, side of things and uh, we definitely do a much extensive thorough rehab uh in the last four years that we did in the first four years so the people that are buying them from you are roughly paying about a hundred yeah call it hundred and they're, they're buying uh uh with a renter that's getting roughly twelve hundred and they're looking at uh returns call it between seven and nine percent right now Seven to nine percent, and so what are they making on a month-to-month basis? A couple hundred dollars, something like that. Yeah, I think they're usually they come out to be about uh, three to three hundred fifty dollars. I think they're making our tax. So the taxes, uh, one advantage of the city property you have here is taxes are fairly low. Our taxes, you hear everything uh, messed up about Chicago, but one thing that we're good for right now, and maybe this is why at the root of the problem, but uh, our taxes per unit only tend to be about twelve to fifteen hundred dollars per unit per year. Mm. So you go into the collar counties of uh, Chicago and uh, it's much higher than that. So so what type of tenants are you usually renting to? Is it government subsidized? Is it, you know, traditional working people? Like what do you, what do you tend to go for and why? Um, so we keep it open to both. In Cook County uh, here, you, you are not able to discriminate, but we uh, actually enjoy both sides of whether it be market tenant or a Section 8 tenant, CHA, Chicago Housing Authority. Um, you know, we market to both. They both have their advantages and disadvantages. We were, you know, when we first started off, we were a lot more section eight, uh, heavy. I think, uh, in 2012, we looked at it, we were probably about 85% section eight. And now I think we're only about 52%. Um, and I think just the increase of, uh, of, you know, maybe the economy is better and and, uh, more jobs and the the qualified market tenants, there's a lot more these days, uh, it seems out there. So that's why, so we have a fairly good share of, of both mm, okay that makes sense so and then are you managing the properties after the fact as well when people are buying them from you yeah no definitely you know it's, uh, i think uh when someone's buying a turnkey property i think the more important thing that they buy or or make sure they're on the same page with is who's going to manage it i see a lot of guys buy turnkey around the country and if the management can't keep uh, the property straight or keep it occupied or, or keep things under control, then that, that pro forma that they bought in the beginning on that nice uh, glossy brochure means nothing if it can't be managed the right way. Mm, makes sense. Um, so are you doing everything from soup to nuts on the property management? Yeah. So we, we are handling anything. Yeah. So our goal with our, our management clients is to get approvals from them if some maintenance goes over the, the dollar amount that we have set with them. Uh, typically our dollar amounts are four or 500 bucks with our owners. Um, and then, uh, you know, we handle turnover and leasing and all that stuff. So our goal is to only get approvals from them and then send them out their, uh, their statements on a monthly basis. That, that's the perfect world clients. That, uh, that, that's what we go for. So where do you see the real estate market heading in the next year to two years? Um, oh man, that's, uh, I ask, I ask everybody that question because I'm always curious to see kind of what I get for feedback. Well, you know what is funny, and, and uh, I can uh, poke fun at myself, is for the last four or five years, I always think the next two years, we're going to kind of hit uh, a peak. 
And uh, that peak has came slower than, than uh, it hasn't been that we've surpassed the peak, I guess, specifically here in Chicago, it's just it's been slower to get to that, that peak. But, uh, you know, right now you have a lot of people that are getting into real estate again. You know, it's similar. I feel right now, so when I got in the market 2003, you know, that, that uh, mid-2000s, I feel for Chicago, we're in the same area where, you know, a lot of people are starting to get the real estate license, a lot of guys that are finally buying the first investment property. So the seasoned developers, you start competing with these guys that are, are overpaying for a property that, uh, um, that uh, just because they don't know what they're up against. So on the development side, I think we're losing inventory one to inventory is low and there's a lot more competition, a lot more uneducated competition. And then uh, on the broker side here, the, the, the supply is pretty uh, low here in, in Chicago. So people that put their houses on the market are, are, are getting uh, what, what they need, but the prices still haven't, you know, I, I think we're still, and this is, again, this is a segment through parts of the city, but out here in the suburbs, there's parts of uh, downtown Northside and all that stuff that have surpassed uh, the, the kind of the 2007 climax. But out here in the uh, suburbs, you know, we're still below where we were at in 2007 as far as that. Like pretty far below, like 20-30%. So how much longer do you think we have left kind of on up this upswing? And what do you think the, the crash will look like this time? Oh, man, you know what? I, I, I this, this question is so... Uh, you know, we never knew, you know, you watch the movie Big Short. We never knew any of that, that stuff that was, uh, that was uh, happening behind the scenes. And, and I sit there and I wonder when I get asked this question, like, what's happening behind the scenes that we don't know is, is uh, creeping up on, on uh, us? But I do know that they haven't uh, unloaded or they haven't been uh, giving mortgages to everybody um, and their dead grandmother <laughs> like they were before. Yep. So I, I don't know. Um, I can't see it to be as, as sharp of a, a decline, I guess, this time, um, just because I don't know, there's a lot of those major things that happened before. You know, now I see what happened last time. Uh, I don't know. I just, I just can't see it being as sharp of a decline, if anything. Uh, a plateau, I guess. Um, and again, this market by market, uh, I, I say that confidently here because we're nowhere close to where we were. But uh, I see stuff, uh, and I know out the West Coast and all that. I get some of these wholesale deals uh, in my email from like the West Coast. And uh, you see like a 700 uh, square foot uh, uh, single family home in Compton for like $350,000. It's like, wow, that's crazy. Um, so I, I know other areas. And Midwest always lets me affected. So um I don't know. We have a different uh, generation now that's putting money into real estate. Um, a lot of the generation, um, I think the generation, the younger generation, call them millennials, I guess. I'm on the, the tail end of that. Um, they're not looking to depend on the 401k that their parents kind of lost money on. They're looking to kind of control their own destiny. And those are the guys that are investing in real estate. And even if they break even, they're happy because they're paying it down and they can kind of control their investment a little more. So it's a lot more of those people investing um, in uh I don't know what that's going to ultimately do to us down the road. And then you still have the, the you know, all these uh, REITs and, and funds and hedge funds that came in and bought these hundreds of thousands of hundreds of thousands of units across the country. What's going to happen when those start to sell? So that, that's another kind of unknown factor that I'm, I'm not sure about. Cool. All right. Well, I got a couple other questions for you. Um, what would you say? Because I think the, the hardest part about becoming a real estate investor is really getting started. So talk a little bit about what, you, what advice you would give to somebody who's kind of just starting out. Um, you know, it's, I say this because it's easy for me. I know it's hard for a lot of people. Just do a deal, um, whether it's uh, um, a conservative deal that you make uh, very little money on. Uh, don't try hitting a home run the first time. I think, I think 
you learn so much more from going through from, from the day you find a property to the day you find a closing and get that check in your hand, hopefully you get the check in your hand, um, than you do ever sitting there looking at the internet 24-7 of how to be a better investor. I, I think just, just do it, pull the trigger. Mm. Okay, last question. So what would you say about mentorships or just being around other successful people? Sphere of influence. It's, it's all about that. Um, you know, if, if you, again, if you are looking to be motivated and looking to get into real estate or looking to pull the trigger, you have to be around the right people that will, that will be pushing in the right direction, you know, a support system in a way, especially then uh, when you're involved in your first deal or get involved then you have people to fall back on to, to help you and advise you as well too. I'm a big fan of, uh, of uh, just kind of that you are who you surround yourself with. And I think I've always surrounded myself with, I was surrounding myself with people a little older than me, and uh, I think a little wise than me. I never want to be the smartest guy in the room because that means I'm not I'm not learning as much as I could be. I guess is my thought. Did you Did you have a mentor when you started? Um, I had so I had 15, 20 different people that I just always bothered. <laughs> Whether it be uh, maybe they might call it annoyed, but uh, I, I always ask them random questions and, and ask it from a different angle and so forth but uh i never had one person but if there's a lot of people out there you know there's guys out there now when i first started you'd have places like bigger pockets and stuff like that bigger pockets mm. i mean you go on there and uh you can find a mentor on there that might be across the country but that guy will answer all the questions for you i know i do it for some people sometimes yeah it's crazy how well connected everybody is today i mean literally you know facebook has kind of completely changed everything i mean you can contact somebody at anywhere in the country within seconds yeah. And most people, most people are pretty good about responding. I mean, I've never really had too many people that have really honestly blown me off. Um, so if one of our listeners wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to learn more about cash flow and properties in the Chicago area? Uh, well, you can send me an email, um, mark at gcrealtyinc.com, uh, or you can check out our website, uh, gcrealtyinvestments.com. Um, and then you could, you could, uh, there's also a link on that site that links over to our property management page. So if you want to learn about our management as well, too. Cool. Can you just give me that URL one more time? Uh, gcrealtyinvestments.com. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincamerancoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.